Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome back to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray of iNews and iNewspaper. I'm joined as always by George Belshaw and Calvin Beton. And as always, you can get in touch with us in any manner of ways. If you want to get in touch with us on email, you can send us an email at lovetennispod at gmail.com. Uh, someone who's done that this week is Frank Alagno, who uh, you may not be surprised to know because of the conversation we've had recently, is a Rafa Nadal fan. Uh, and doesn't think that we give Rafa fair dues in his rivalry with Novak Djokovic. Uh, he says, I'm a massive fan of the podcast, but surely you wind up Nadal fans, especially Jordan Calvin, who persist in making brilliantly bold and wonderfully wrong arguments that Rafa doesn't quite measure up to Novak. Uh, perhaps you don't know that Rafa leads Novak 13-7 to head-to-head in Grand Slams, Olympics and Davis Cup. Maybe you don't have Wikipedia in England. Um, this is quite a long email, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, uh, personally, he says, personally, I love the wind-up. It's great fun, especially as Rafa keep proving you wrong, but a bit more counterbalance maybe and consideration of actual head-to-head Grand Slam results make for an intriguing discussion. I'm gonna, I, I'm not gonna get deep into discussion on this because I think we should do a special podcast on the Nadal-Djokovic rivalry because it, I think it's one of the best ever and it would be good to talk about it. But I'm just gonna point out that, and you might think this is nitpicking, but Djokovic hasn't lost to Nadal at a Grand Slam outside of Roland Garros since 2013. And I think, rightly or wrongly, we often basically discount all the results at Roland Garros because we're like, well, obviously Rafa won that. Now, it's not fair, I think, but I think that's often what happens. Anyway, there's a little jumping off point. Let us know if you think I'm right or wrong. And as I say, we're going to have a really big chat about this at some point because I think it's definitely uh, worth doing. We've also had uh, a five-star review, and uh, you can always leave us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. We're always really grateful for them. If you do it on Apple, you can also leave us a bit of a message, which is exactly what 80s Villager has done. It says, avid listener, and as a New Yorker, I'm appreciative to be educated on the vagaries of British posh, middle class, and Yorkshire accents. I don't know who he's talking about, but anyway. Um, but somehow, the three of you all fell under the same delusion that Djokovic has dominated the head-to-head with Nadal. 
Actually, Rafa has won almost two-thirds of the matchups in Grand Slams, Davis Cups and Olympics. 13 out of 20 matchups. It's not even close. Snap out of it, lads. Now, is it possible that this might be the same person <laughs> operating under a pseudonym of 80s villager? I was going to wonder if we're like victim of like a Russian bot attack from like kind of Nadal <laughs> enthusiasts, like just quoting the same stats like under everything. It, who knows, George? It's entirely possible. Um, but if you want to be part of the Russian bot wave, let us know. As long as they keep being five-star bots. Um, but yeah, anyway, really appreciate the uh, positive feedback. And as I said last week, I'll try and be nicer to Nadal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we Yeah, we, we, we welcome all feedback, positive or negative. But if you've got negative stuff, please put it in my DMs because that way I can kind of compartmentalise it and then move on. Uh, we've got loads to talk about this week. We're going to look at um, all the Wimbledon withdrawals and the Wimbledon entries. Uh, Eastbourne starts, literally starts today, in fact. Uh, Calvin is down on site with Pat and Cash, the best doubles pair in the world. I don't think it's unreasonable to say. Uh, we'll also talk a bit about Rafa Nadal's injury, the exhibition at the Hurlingham. We'll look back at Queen's, Berlin, Birmingham, uh, even Haller, I suppose, since George has been talking about it on Turkish TV. Uh, and we'll also talk about Dominic Team making some porn. Yep, you heard that right. It's sort of true. Stay tuned to hear more on that one. Um, but we're going to start with the Wimbledon entry list because there's been lots of ins and outs over the last couple of days. Serena Williams was the one who really made waves by announcing on Instagram that she was going to come back to Wimbledon. In fact, she made such a wave that Wimbledon brought forward their wildcard announcement plan uh, by a day because they felt that they had to say something better than nothing. She's also taken a wildcard to play doubles at Eastbourne with Ons Jabour. I'm told that she could have had a singles wildcard if she wanted it, and they waited and waited and waited, and eventually she didn't take it. Uh, not that she necessarily said she would, but they suspected that she might change her mind. Um, George, it's great to have Serena Williams back on court anywhere in the world. What do you think we can expect from her? She hasn't played competitively since Wimbledon last year. Um, crikey, I mean, that's a... It's a tough one to start with. To be honest, I'd kind of got in the mindset we just weren't going to see her this year and she might kind of come back to the US Open. Um, so I was a little bit surprised. I kind of thought she might um, try and make a bit of an earlier comeback to try and get a few matches under her belt. Um, she's obviously going to go and play doubles with Ons Jabur at Eastbourne. Um, Eastbourne? I kind of just Eastburn. ran Jabur into Eastbourne. Eastburn. <laughs> um, yeah, I... To be honest, I don't think we could expect much from her. Um, she might do well in the doubles with Ons because, you know, she's pretty brilliant. But given what happened last year in the first round, um, when she kind of rolled her ankle and it was over pretty swiftly, um, I, I can't really see her having um, enough to kind of go all the way through and do some serious damage. Uh, my girlfriend has second round tickets for Wimbledon and is desperate to see Serena. So if she makes it to round two... <laughs> And she happens to be on the right day. I'll, I'll have a very happy girlfriend. Um, <laughs> First time. I, I wouldn't hold my. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't hold my breath on uh, that or the happiness improving elsewhere. Uh, Calvin, I know that you haven't been out on court today, but we saw a video from Tumani Cariel, the excellent Guardian correspondent of Serena hitting with um, Francis TFO. I, I hate to read too much into eighteen-second videos of someone hitting, but it didn't look completely committed. I mean. Serena's not ever been someone who, certainly in her later career, has had to play a big schedule. What do you make of the fact that she's playing doubles and not singles at Eastbourne? It's an unusual approach, to say the least. I have actually been on court today. Oh, I beg your pardon. I got down here. Yeah. Very good. Um, 
So, um, as you should know, James, I just told you a story about Sasha Bubbly. <laughs> yeah, no, you did. Sorry. Four <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I think it's just easing itself in. Most players do that, I think. Uh, well, not most players. A lot of players do. Um, they come back and play just doubles, um, especially get her used to the grass and that kind of thing. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if she only plays doubles at Wimbledon, um, to be honest. Really? Um, I mean, she is registered for singles. Yeah, I, mean, I, know, I think she will play singles, be? but it wouldn't... Just to get her playing, you know, and she might fancy... if a, I don't know. We don't know how, how strong her body is. If, mm. if she thinks that it wouldn't survive the rigours of it and she might just be missing the competitive side of things, then I think she will play singles. I just said it, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if that happened. Um, I think she is, she... is she playing doubles at Wimbledon? Do we know that yet? It's actually a good question. She's I mean, she's not on the entry list, but... I'm guessing the doubles. The, there's still a couple of doubles wild cards up for grabs. I think so. She could in, in the women's. I think yeah. 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 yeah the women's back normally, mm. and obviously could play mixed if she wanted as well. Um, do we do we think this is a, a kind of farewell thing where she just thinks I kind of want to come back, say goodbye to people? Is she is she that sentimental about stuff? I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because definitely the way she went out last year is not how she wanted to walk away. Oh, obviously. Um, for anyone who doesn't remember, she was playing against Alexandra Sasnovich. She slipped in a year when there were quite a lot of slips and uh, she retired injured. Um, but incidentally, Tim Henman, who's on the committee at the All England, revealed today that they're going to allow some practice on centre and number one to play in the courts a little bit because of all the slips last year. I spoke to an anonymous source on the ground staff today who thinks it's total nonsense and that basically they're just <laughs> appeasing the players who have misremembered what it's like to play on grass. But that's a discussion for another day. Um, I, I think it's really important for her to have a good final memory of Wimbledon. I think she... I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if she thinks she's hard... You know, if she wins, like, two or three matches, which isn't beyond the rounds of possibility to win two, three maybe hard. I could see her doing this for a couple of years and playing like four tournaments a year and two of them are Wimbledon in the US. I mean, she, she's definitely good enough on the grass if she, if her body holds up to kind of power her way through people and she still does have that aura where people will just kind of completely panic facing her unless it's like a really kind of top top player like a Sviontek or someone like that. Mm. The, the, the big question that's being overlooked so far though is... Uh, what if she plays Halep first round, the Moritoglu derby? <laughs> Which box is he going to be sitting in? Is, Honestly, it, is he working wish, with us? Has he even said? I wish listeners could see the big stick that George picks up every time he says Patrick Moritoglu poke <laughs> Calvin with just to see if he can get a rise out of him. Um, I mean, I, I'm, she's not working with Moritoglu. I'm fairly sure that that's kind of been been cleared up. Um, he He wouldn't have taken the job, I think, if he was still required, if that makes sense. I thought he'd kind of left the door vaguely open, though, like just saying, I don't really know what she's doing. It's I'm just going to do this with Hallett for a bit. I don't know. It, it was all really weird. I mean, it, presumably it is just completely over, but I don't know. Moritoglu will end up in about 95% of the field's boxes anyway, because that just tends to happen at Grand Slams. But, <laughs> but incidentally, it seems like she's working with Eric, Eric Hechtman. Um, who was Venus's coach? Um, he seems to, according to some social media kind of movements, um, it seems like he's going to be the man in the box. I mean, we'll know probably even by the time people listen to this podcast, it will be known. So 
the exact location of Patrick Murtoglu might not matter too much, although if he is if he's around the locker room in Eastbourne, I slightly fear for his sanity or perhaps Calvin's. So maybe we just keep our fingers crossed he's not there. Um, she wasn't the only one to sort of declare her Wimbledon status this week. Naomi Osaka officially confirmed she is out, but not because she thinks it's an exhibition or the ranking points, which is what she has said before. Um, she posted quite a long social media message saying, after the storm comes the calm. That is a saying I'm trying to actively master. Uh, I feel like life keeps dealing cards and you're never going to be used to them, but it's how you adapt to uncomfortable situations that really says stuff about your character. Um, she's basically talking about this Achilles injury that she's been battling. She posted some footage of herself working on a like a zero-gravity treadmill in an effort to get herself ready for Wimbledon. Um, she says, every day before I go to sleep, I think of all the people I love and how grateful I am to have them in my life. I also just wish the best for them and hope that my existence brings as much joy as they do to me. It, it would be brilliant if uh, if her existence came at Wimbledon this year, but it's not going to be the case. Are we in danger of losing a bit of star quality from Wimbledon now? What with all the Russians and Belarusians being out? And as we'll talk about later, injury clouds over Serena, Andy, um, Emma Raducanu, any number of players who might not be there. Will Wimbledon just always be Wimbledon? Or actually, is there a bit of a danger here? Um, I, I'm not particularly worried. I think Serena's a massive pull for the tournament. Um, you know, Murray will... I'm sure Murray will be there. I'm sure Raducanu will be there. They'll they'll be there to at least give it a go. You know, that will give it the first week buzz. You know, the first week, a lot of it is about the kind of British hopefuls and that kind of goes on. And then you're looking to the second week for the kind of quality of the Novaks, the Raffers. You know, Raffer playing is absolutely massive for Wimbledon as well. You know, Berrettini is kind of starting, I feel, to become a bit of a figure in English tennis as well. You know, it seemed like quite a, I'm sure we'll come on to him a little bit later, but kind of back-to-back Queen's titles and, um, you know, final last year. He had quite a a nice post-match thing with Sue Barker as well. It feels like there's a bit of a kind of connection there. Um, And he's getting kind of a lot of primetime British stuff. So for the kind of casual fan tuning in every year, you're probably thinking, he'll be good. Berrettini's there this year, Um, which you might not necessarily be the top of your thoughts for, um, say, Australia or whatever. But no, no. in short, no, I'm not worried about the star quality. And B, yes, Wimbledon is always Wimbledon from, from these shores anyway. And people will tune in and enjoy it because... It's part of the British summer, James. Mm. Um, the one impact of the, the lack of ranking points is that Eugenie Bouchard has withdrawn, which, uh, you know, uh, Eugenie Bouchard hasn't played tennis in more than a year, so I don't think we're that surprised. But it was interesting what she said because she had shoulder surgery in June last year. She's got a protected ranking. And she said, as much as I love Wimbledon, skipping it makes me sad. Using a PR entry at a tournament with no ranking points doesn't make sense. I mean, Calvin, you can probably clear this up a bit more easily, but... Am I right in saying that basically you can only use your PR a certain number of times and once you've got that, you know look, basically your ranking is going to drop massively so you want to do it at tournaments where you can gain good points, is that right? Yeah, um, I think it's six tournaments you can use it for. Mm. Um, so we're after you've been out for a certain period of time. I mean, although Eugenie Bouchard not playing because there's no ranking points available is like me closing my account at Coot Superbank. Um, <laughs> that, like, when was the last time she actually picked up any ranking points before she was injured? Well, um, yeah, I but losing first still round playing. still would have. Well, she's. Yeah, I mean, this is. As you, don't I was reading... losing, you don't get any ranking points for losing first round. No, of course you don't. Um, 
Um, I, I, I will say on what George just said there about well, is it still Wimbledon? Yeah, it, it is still. It will still be Wimbledon because I always say that Wimbledon is a social event with a bit of sport going on in the background. Ninety percent <laughs> of the people who are there watching don't really care for what which players are there or whatever. So. Well, I mean, I've just been at Queens for a week, so um, I think that it perhaps is even more uh, the case that I yeah. mean, I know, I know, I mean, and I, I apologise to listeners who are offended by that because I know lots of love tennis listeners did go to Queens this week, and you are the committed tennis fans. But the reality is, and I was mixing among them, there are lots of people there, and and you know what, the casual fans are still they still matter, you know, they still put money into the game, they still pay all of our wages directly or indirectly, but as you say. There are some events which are like proper tennis events where it's, you know, the Ilkley Trophy. I imagine you don't get many, uh, you don't get many people there for the jolly, Calvin. Well, I was just going to say quite the opposite. Um, the Ilkley Trophy was sold out yesterday, um, wow. and the centre court there apparently seats nine hundred people, mm. um, and the event was a sellout. And at no stage on the final semi-finals day, which was yesterday, men's doubles final the two, four semi-finals men and women's was there at no stage was there any more than about 150 people on center court <laughs> so, um, they did have a corporate area though which was quite busy well frequented i see okay yeah. well who knew who knew people went to the Oakley trophy for a jolly um interesting stuff uh real tennis fans instantly go to eastbourne that's what i'm told that's so that seems to be the 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 consensus in the press box today george you're shaking your head at that I, I was kind of just rubbing my nose, I'm afraid, James. It, was, it wasn't, a, wasn't a purposeful head. All right, okay. Uh, let's move on. Speaking of Eastbourne, uh, no Emma Raducanu there. She's uh, out with an ongoing side strain. Um, it's a bit of a concern because previously we were told that she was highly likely to play there. Um, in fact, it means she's going to go to Wimbledon with just 33 minutes of grass court tennis under her belt. Competitive grass court tennis, that is. Um, Calvin, how do we feel about the fact that she's pulled out of Eastbourne this week. Are we confident that she'll play? And if so, are we a bit concerned that she's not had any like competitive grass court experience or much this summer? Um, I'm confident she'll play. Um, her sponsors will demand it. Um, and I'd say that only half-jokingly. They would expect her to be playing all four slams, and that's mm. the biggest one. So she'll be under extensive pressure to play it, I would say. But Which is a shame, right? Play it anyway. But the... yeah, but I think she'll want to play it anyway. I mean, I don't yeah, think she'd. I don't think it'd be a case of like if she was wasn't fit that she'd play it because the sponsor said so. But they they will want her to be playing there. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, well, she'd obviously want a few matches, but as we see, like with the women's game, as we keep talking about most weeks, it's so random and so mad that. Is it necessary? I, I don't know. She won't, and, and as well, she won't go in like she won't step on court without having played on grass. I imagine that she's probably going to be practicing this week. Mm. And I think if she doesn't get three or four days of full practice in before it, then there'd be a concern. Mm. But I imagine she will, and there'll be some practice sets in there and that kind of thing. So mm. I won't be too worried about it. How are we kind of expecting the perception to be around Raducanu at, the, at Wimbledon this year? Do you think? people and by people i mean kind of the broader general public will have taken note of what she's been doing over the last year and kind of dial it down in terms of expectations or do you think they'll be thinking well this is the us oh, open champion turning up at wimbledon the, we're expecting her to win oh they'll i think the perception will be they'll be expecting her to win it 
Mm. I think the, the general public, maybe not the tennis fans, as we spoke about, but she'll probably be she'll probably be the biggest draw at the tournament, I'd mm. say. Yeah, um, I mean, certainly just looking at the bookies, she's already, you know, she's been, we know the bookies have listed her pretty short because people yeah. will just fling money at her. That's not an expectation. I think what's going to be interesting, she will get a rapturous reception. Of course she will. And Wimbledon crowds are always sympathetic to British players no matter what. What's been interesting is talking to people this week, you know, outside of tennis, and people have started to say, oh, what's happening with Radicana? She seems to be losing a lot. Hope she's going to be all right at Wimbledon. She's still going to win it, or, you know, words to those effects. People absolutely do expect her. Like, oh, she won the US Open, and she's number 11 in the world. I think that's right. So why shouldn't she have a chance of winning it or going well? And I think the reality is she'll win. I think she'll get to the third round minimum, assuming she's fit. But then she's going to run into probably a seeded player. And she's 50-50 against, I think, girls between 15 and 50 in the world at the moment, which is what probably her third round opponent will be. And I just really struggle to see... If she's short of practice and short of fitness, which we know that she will be, you know, I don't know. It, it's it's hard to judge, but I think there's going to be a big, like, expectation achievement deficit. And I think that will be difficult to handle. I know how everyone will try to handle it, but inevitably, as I wrote, I wrote something today, everyone's got an opinion on Emma Raducanu from Andy Murray to Piers Morgan. Some are really valid and some are not. And, that, and that's what's going to happen in the aftermath of her. She's not going to win Wimbledon. Like, let's be very clear about that. But where, however she goes out, it, I think it might get a bit ugly. Raducanu, Serena first round. Who wins <laughs> that if we get that draw? I don't know. I mean, can we have a first ever draw Who in tennis? Who finishes it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Who has the first medical timeout? That's... That's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I, I was thinking this the other day, like, Almost whoever Serena draws is news, but like Serena Raducanu would be insane. Yeah, I mean the general public's perception of British tennis players is horrendous. Mm. Like, let's have it right. I mean, I know you're right, James. Do you mean misjudged? Go... You don't mean that they think badly of them. Well, let me put it this way: when you're right in what you're saying, that whatever stage she loses on, she'll get stick for it. And I remember towards the end of the nineties, no, when it after just after he'd retired there was a there was a poll in one of the papers britain's biggest losers and tim henman was i think second hmm. as britain's biggest britain's biggest ever loser um and at the time i think from the years that they were active tim henman was top 10 in the world for 10 years and the only other sportsman that britain had during that period who was top 10 in the world was was lennox lewis hmm. there, there was no other sportsman who was top 10 in the world for a 10-year period and Tim Henman consistently made semi-finals at Wimbledon what do you have four three or four semi-finals hmm. and he was every time he lost he was deemed a massive loser and he lost to I think he lost to Pete Sampras like three times and Goran Ivanovic who won it and the other one hmm. like he lost to and, and so that there is no there, there's so. no perspective on it they you either win it or you're a loser it's kind of the brutal thing about tennis right it's like almost everyone loses every week like that—that that is the reality oh, of tennis, yeah. and it—and it's hard. Yeah. Are we categorically ruling her out of winning it? What Raducanu? Raducanu. I've already said that. I said it like a politician. I said, let's be very, very clear about one thing: Emma Raducanu is not winning Wimbledon. 
I, I, I mean, like, there's no chance. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think she's winning. I, I don't think there's. I wouldn't say there's I, no. I caveat it with saying. I caveat it with saying it's women's tennis, as always. I caveat everything that's about women's tennis by saying it's women's tennis. There's, mm. there's a there's a ten percent element of absolute chaos about it all. Yeah. It would need lightning to strike. I would say it's more likely that any of the other forty players who are around the same standard as mm. Emma Raducanu is would win it because it would mean lightning striking twice again. Mm. George, do you think she can win it? I think I think anyone is capable of going very far in a a women's slam at the minute, and she did play some good stuff last year. I don't think the preparation's been ideal. I think the biggest reason I don't think she can win it is probably Sviontek, to be honest. I just don't think anyone's going to get near her. Hmm. Uh, yes. I, I'm a bit miffed at the biggest reason, she, the biggest reason that she can't <laughs> win it is Sviontek. Like, she hasn't been past the third round. Like, what about any of the other players in the draw? Like, let's be honest. I'm not looking to have a pop at her because like, this gets levelled at me every week. Right? <laughs> yeah. Had, don't have a job racing sort, day, Like, nothing that has happened since last the second week in September has given any indication that Emma Raducanu can win Wimbledon. Like, no. But maybe she wants close. it more, Calvin. But, she wants yeah, maybe, it more than anyone Yeah, that's, else. Though, that's usually who wins all major sporting events, whoever <laughs> wants it more, isn't it? Maybe it's just the ultimate hustle, Calvin, that she's been trying to catch everyone <laughs> she's out. Been, she's yeah. been hustling. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. I've heard everything now. Um, let's move on to the ultimate hustler, the real ultimate hustler. His name's Tim Van Richthoven, and he's been tanking for years just to get a wild card into Wimbledon. Uh, you may remember last week that Calvin said he'd buy Georgia beer if Tim Van Richthoven got a Wimbledon wild card. And Calvin's from Yorkshire, so that's a big bet. Um, and in fact, he did. So uh, the, re- the Love Tennis reunion, which is already billed to be quite a big deal, um, could actually be quite serious on the first Thursday of Wimbledon. Um, he, of course, had that dream run at Rosmarlin. He shot up 100 places in the rankings after beating Daniil Medvedev in the final, and then he was handed a Wimbledon wild card. Um, it, it's great news. It's a good story. It's good of Wimbledon to be kind of open-minded about who they're going to give a wild card to. They've also given one to Stan Wawrinka, by the way, at the age of 37, who um, beat Francis Tiafo at Queen's and served about 22 aces in that match. Who knew Stan Wawrinka was a secret big server? Um Calvin, uh, joking aside, I mean, was there anyone who you thought deserved a Wimbledon wildcard who didn't get one, or is that going to get you in too much trouble? Um, won't get me in any trouble. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I think they've done the right thing. I mean, I know like a couple of... I don't think there's anybody in Maine who you would think should have deserved one in the singles. Mm. There's still some doubles to go, and I hope that they use those. Mm. Um, I think they're still three or four doubles ones to go and i right. certainly hope that they get used on british players or some of them get used on british players um the singles i think was about right um they've given one to zizu bergs today as well haven't they Who yeah so Oakley. it was it was kind of it's kind of complicated and you may know more about this than me but it seems like part of the prize for winning ilkley was a wimbledon wild card but i don't know if that was ever kind of expressly said I don't know. Uh, my answer would be I don't. That's. I guess it's a case. It's usually the people that win the Ilkley Trophy are already in, so it right. might not. Because um, usually, I mean, although it's a challenger, you usually get somebody ranked about sixty who mm. maybe didn't get into Queens or Haller or did chose not to go to Haller and didn't get into Queens, so they play Ilkley. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's got one. They've given one to 
Charlie Broom into qualifying, who was the main one who didn't get one into qualifying initially that everybody thought should have, because Charlie's had a really good year. Mm. Um, overall, he's got great mentality, um, and he lost in the pre-qualifying 7-6 in the third yeah. um, to Stuart Parker. So I'm glad they've rectified that. I think he should have had one initially and not had to go through pre-qualifying. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't. I think they've probably made good calls so far. I just, like I say, I hope they use those doubles ones because there are some British good doubles, some good pairs still out there, and it, it helps the players as well. Mm. Um, incidentally, for people who don't know Zizou Bergs, um, he's a 23-year-old Belgian who is kind of been on my radar for a bit of time just because his dad is quite an active guy on social media and pushes him quite hard, which I really like. Uh, his name's Kern. I'm hoping to speak to Zizi a little bit later in the week, but he's been in the finals of a challenger on three different surfaces in the last three months, which is quite impressive. He lost to Jack Draper in the final in France on indoor hardcore. Uh, he lost to Lucas Klein on clay in a challenger in May. And then, as I mentioned, uh, he beat Jack Sock. I mean, incredible match as well, by the way. 7-6, 9-7 in the first set tiebreaker, 2-6, and then 7-6, 8-6 in the final set tiebreaker incredibly tense um lots of back and forth lots of needle as well um and gutting for jack sock who i think is about four places off main draw of wimbledon um and that obviously would have got him a wild card into wimbledon so yeah huge amount riding on that on that final but congrats to zizu um it'll be great to have another 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 person from the lowlands in the main draw of wimbledon along with um, along with Tim Van Richthoven. So um, that's gone quite well for everyone involved. A couple of other notable players in the men's draw. Um, Raf, I don't know, I might pronounce this wrong, Rafael Nadal. Um, he, well, he announced that his wife, Maria Francisca Parello, is pregnant. Um, congrats to them. But from a tennis perspective, uh, he said he was up for Wimbledon. Um, he said, my intention is to try to play Wimbledon if there's any chance. And the week this, this week, the feeling tells me there is a chance. My intention is to travel there. He's going to travel there on Monday this week. And as the, as the days go by, things don't go as we expect. We'll see what happens. So uh, I don't know what other people have read into this. He had two two nerve treatments in Barcelona. He said it wasn't an immediate thing, but things have changed and for the better. Um, he said the joint pain that did not allow me to support myself has decreased. I mean... George, I might be wrong here, but I read that as quite a sort of, well, I'll give it a go, and who knows what might happen. I read it as he's definitely playing now, to be honest. Um, I think for Rafa to say it's much better <laughs> generally means, you know, given he's fairly cautious about his injuries when he's talking about them and still goes and blitzes through everyone to win the French Open. Um, yeah, I, th I think he plays. Um, I think he'll be a major threat. Um, I think you know, which is probably quite obvious given he's been the best player in the world this year. But there's there's only really two, three maximum guys I'd probably put down as guys I think can beat Rafa in a Grand Slam match this year. And particularly on grass, you're looking at Djokovic and we're still a bit unsure where he is. I think Berrettini can beat him, but would need to serve perfectly. Um, but he's he's playing so well on grass, he could do it. And then I still think we'll see what Alcaraz is like on the grass. But he he's played well enough this year to make me think he could could push Nadal over a best of five. But without guys like Medvedev, Zverev, you know, even doubting necessarily how great they are on grass, um, I don't see too many many if rappers fit that he uh, he won't beat. To be honest, 
Calvin, uh, Klaus Fulgegaard on Twitter says, who is on top of your power rankings for the men's Wimbledon? Uh, mine's Djokovic, Berrettini, Nadal, and I'm going to assume he means in that order. Uh, do you uh, concur there, or would you put Nadal higher than Berrettini? What's your reading of the situation? I would think about it more in a pyramid type system. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd have my pyramid is, and I thought about this on my, I saw the questions, so I thought about on the drive down. I'd have Djokovic at the top of the pyramid, and below him I've got. I mean, I'm going to break away from the pyramid structure straight away. Yeah, I have Nadal slightly ahead of Berrettini, but both on the same, but Nadal a little bit higher. Right. And then underneath that, I would have Hercatch. Yeah. I'd like to see the draw, but with a kind draw, I think you've got to have Murray in there. Um. He looked fit. If he's fit, he's oh. beat. Look, if you look at the next players down after such as... A, I'll do a bit of um, pluralism here. After your her-catchers of, her-catchers mm. of this world. Ahead of Alcaraz, that, Murray? I'm, I'm gonna, sorry? Ahead of Alcaraz, Murray? Yeah, I think so. On grass, or at least the same. I don't, we've, got no, we've got no sample size for Alcaraz, though. Mm. On the on the grass, so you know, I, Alcaraz last year on grass is completely irrelevant. Up until about U.S. Open last year, he was completely irrelevant anyway, wasn't it? So, <laughs> um, so I'd have her catch, I'd have Murray, but I'll caveat Murray with it with a good, a, a decent draw. I think he needs to get in it, um, and then I think I'd still have such. I think like such as Felix would be would be there. He had a good one last year, and then underneath that, I'd have. Kyrgios, um begrudgingly you know, included. Um, Chapovalov yeah, in that next band. But no, look, Chilic. No, Chapovalov's playing crap, isn't he? Um, Chilic. No, Chilic's not going to win it. Um, he's got. He, he's got more of a chance of winning it than Sissipas. I'm sorry, I don't understand where we think there's any evidence for Sissipas doing anything at the grass and not Chilic. I, I just I, think I'll, he's I'll at some stages. No, it doesn't make sense how bad he is on grass. That's the thing with Sissipas. Like he, he has to, and I get. You know, there might be a some sort of bias or you know something going on there i can't see how he's how he's so shit on grass it doesn't make any sense <laughs> um but because uh, he's uh, look he serves well he volleys well he moves smoothly there's he doesn't have huge swings like even his backhand he can slice it it should sort of make you can't get it up so so high but um yeah that that they'd be my power ranking pyramid if you will Calvin, after the break, I'm going to ask you a question from Eleanor Tsurdi about one-handed backhands on grass, because that is what Stefanos Tsitsipas has. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now remember, you can always get in touch on Twitter at Love Tennis Pod, and that's exactly what Eleanor Tsurdi has done. Uh, she's one of our regular listeners and contributors. She says, hi lads, has the game on grass changed so much that baseline players will prevail, or do you see a resurgence of serve and volley? Niche sub-question, does Maxime Cressy stand a chance? Uh, a favourite of the podcast, as she well knows. Uh, also, what are the secrets for an effective one-handed backhand on grass, which I thought might be a good way of doing Calvin's minute tennis this week Calvin I won't make you do a minute on the one-handed backhand on grass but I wonder if you could talk a bit about why it's difficult or better on grass um, and what the kind of tips are and maybe because I suspect that Eleanor perhaps has a one-handed backhand herself what the uh, the common errors that people make when trying to hit the one-handed backhand are so far away um I guess it can be less of a problem than on other surfaces because it's harder to get the ball up high um, on general grass courts. Wimbledon play a bit more like hard courts now, but you can't whip the ball up um, so heavy into it. Um, historically, the players with one-handed backhands did well on grass because it's easier tra- to transition into a slice and then into a volley. Um, historically, players with one-handed backhands tend to have been the better volleyers in the world. So that's why sort of in the 80s and 90s, I'm trying to think which players won Wimbledon in the 80s with two-handers. I think it was just Connors. Mm. Did Borg win one in the eight? Did he win it in 80? I think maybe. Borg won it in 80, maybe. Um, but other than that, I think everybody who won it in the 80s was a one-hander. Edberg, mm. Becker, McEnroe, Cash. Um, I think I've gone through them all there. Mm. And Borg did win it in 80, you're absolutely right. It was the last time he won Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think from 82 and then even going into even to the mid-90s, because Edberg and Becker both won early on in the 90s, and then Sampras obviously came and dominated. So I think it was only only Agassi won it in 92 or 3. 92, I think. I, I haven't got that in front of me, Calvin. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> um, testing yeah, me that, so, well. so, so for a long period, it was one-handers that won it, but I think the game changes when it was more became more baseline-based. Yeah. Um, what Why did it... Why, what changed that made it more baseline? There was this big thing about in the sort of mid to late 90s that the servers were just dominating it and the game was becoming quite boring. Uh, it was just serve... serve maybe the occasional first volley so they changed the thing so they changed the they changed the grass to make the grass slower mm. and they changed the balls to make the balls slightly bigger uh, and definitely more heavy yeah um at wimbledon and that made it and then as it happened the serve never went on to dominate and if anything 
I think we've gone the other way now where it needs it's a bit too slow at Wimbledon. It needs to be a bit quicker. The one player you left off your list of one-handers at Wimbledon from that Stick. run in that transition. Oh, well, no, well, actually, no, I was going to say kind of moving into the next generation was a certain Roger Federer. I mean, I, I always used to think his ability to kind of drop his slice back and deep on the baseline, yeah. buy himself a bit of time. Can you just explain kind of anything else about that backhand that made it so effective for so many years, particularly as you're saying, the kind of the court did then start favouring the 200 guys later well, on? If, if you've got a good slice on the grass, then it's 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 tough for the opponents because it just skids through and it's going to stay low. So, yeah, um, that, that definitely helps. And other players with one-handers have done well at Wimbledon since. Dimitrov did really well one year, didn't he? Um, I'm trying to think of other players with one-handers recently have done well. That's the thing. Uh, there's I'm just sure not that they're... many one-handers out there full stop. There aren't many around, no. Um, Stan, I suppose. But then you've got this different type of one-hander came through. So the one-hander used to be a bit flatter. If you look at sort of Stick and um, Edberg, they used to be a flat one-hander. But then you've got these ones who came through like Stan and like Team, and it was a heavy top spin, a big backswing one-hander. So it was a kind of one-hander made for a clay court. Gasquet had a lot of good years at Wimbledon. He's another one at... Did he? I think it was his best slams. He, he, sort of... he made, the, semi, he made the, the semi-finals, semis? semifinals twice. In That's a couple of good years. Come on, Cal. Yeah, I bet in both of those semis. But in both those semis, he was two sets to love up against Andy Murray and ended up losing. So <laughs> I've seen him in that situation about eight times at Wimbledon. Like two sets up and lost to Andy Murray. I mean, that's generous because that would suggest that he's won a set in a Wimbledon semi-final, which he never has done. Yeah. Um, in right, fairness, yeah. he did play peak Roger Federer and arguably peak Novak Djokovic. So, I mean, not exactly good draws and probably not good matchups either. Um, yeah, he incident... won the tournament otherwise. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> I always um... find it mad about that mad about Richard Gasquet that his only win against Roger Federer was when he was 15, <laughs> like in a men's tournament. Mm. Like, Wild. If, if, you, if you'd have said he beat him that day, I think he beat him at Monte Carlo and he'd never beat him again. Like, you'd think that was crazy. He looked like he was going to be the, the dominate the world tennis at that stage, Richard Gasquet. Mm. There is an absolute love affair with the one-handed backhand, though. I mean, I don't, you know, it's just so much more aesthetically pleasing. In fact, um, our new sponsor which is Matchpoint Tennis Championships, um, allows you to create your own player, which I've been doing over the last couple of weeks. And you can choose whether to have a two-handed or a back one-handed backhand. And I didn't even think about it. I was like, obviously, I want a one-handed backhand because everyone's dreamt of hitting a one-handed backhand. Um, as I say, they're our new sponsor. Uh, I've had the chance to play it. It comes out on the 7th of July. You can pre-order it now from Game. Um, on PC, on PlayStation 4 or 5, on Xbox. I've been playing it on Xbox. Um, it's an immersive tennis sim. I've really enjoyed playing it. You, you can create your own player and then play through a season. There's about 65 different tournaments, and you have to choose whether to play a challenger or go and play a 250. Or Once you get your ranking high enough, you can choose to play, obviously, the bigger tournaments, and you get into the Grand Slams. You can unlock new rackets and uh, coaches. You can play also online, or you can play... Um, a quick play mode and play as one of the licensed players. Uh, there's all sorts of stars in there. Nick Kyrgios, um, Benoit Paire, Hubert Hurkacz, we were talking about earlier, Carlos Alcaraz, Amanda Alisimova, Victoria Azarenka, Casper um, Ruud, uh, and there's also some DLC that's going to come out which will allow you to download Tommy Haas and Tim Henman. Um, it's great if you can support us by supporting that game. Um, it's also quite good fun. 
Um, so yeah, you can maybe play against me or George online when it comes out on the 7th of July. Um, do pre-order it now from game and then you'll have the chance to get involved with us. Now, moving on, uh, it's time to talk a bit more about Yannick Sinner, who I feel like we haven't mentioned a huge amount on the podcast, having previously talked about him quite a lot. Uh, he has start- announced today, in fact, that he started working with Darren Cahill. Um, he started working with him at Eastbourne, where he's playing this week. Calvin, I know you're a big fan of Darren Cahill. I imagine combining him with a player you're a big fan of in Yannick Sinner is um, potentially going to be a pretty dynamite combination. I think it's a good move, yeah. Uh, Sinner needs to take a step up, doesn't he? He's sort of stagnated a bit. And that stagnated, and again, it's all sort of going to get it in perspective. He's stagnated being about the 10th best player in the world, which is not a bad place to stagnate at. But he's really struggled to beat the top guys. I can't mm. remember the last time he beat somebody in the top seven or eight, um, to be honest. And that's the, he's, he's sort of mastered that run of... He's kind of got where Rublev was, hasn't he? Where he can mm. beat—he beats everyone else quite handily, and can't get over the over the line with the top he's, players. He's and never beaten anybody he's, who's. He's never beaten a top five player in his career. Yeah, that's that's, um, the, that's the giveaway. Yeah, uh, there's an element that people might have found him out. He's a bit one-dimensional, but I think that's something that that Cahill will look to change. Uh, he's got experience of taking those guys from that sort of level to the top level. So let's mm. see if he can do that. George, um, it's a bit of a freebie on the grass, Yannick Sinner, isn't it? He obviously pulled out the French Open uh, when he was playing Rublev with that knee injury, which is a bit of a shame because it was actually a really good match kind of burning up there. I mean, he's got no points to defend from Wimbledon, so he's not going to lose any points. So everyone's going to come back towards him a bit, if that makes any sense. So he's just he's got a complete freebie at Wimbledon, hasn't he? Yeah, and... You know, I watched him play last year against um, Draper at Queens. Right. Oh, I mean, um, sorry, not a nice Wimbledon match, but at Queens, and he didn't look that comfortable on the grass. So I, I'm not expecting any great shakes from him, but I agree with Calvin. I think Cahill's a really good appointment. Um, I sense a little bit with Sinner that maybe the fun's gone out of it slightly, and I think Cahill's quite a good guy to rejig things you know i think sometimes when you go on this upward trajectory and you you know you're flying up the rankings and you think next step next step next step it, it can then be a little bit difficult when you kind of hit that stage that kind of ceiling as calvin's kind of talking about there you know i think for sinner it, it, it's certainly a glass ceiling it's one he can go through i still think he can be a, a very good top five player and possibly beyond needs to add a lot of variety to his game but he's got massive weapons um i'm just not convinced he will necessarily find his feet literally in terms of the movement on grass this year I think the there's two things that this move also has one as uh, someone said to me who's a reputable ex-pro today they said Darren Cahill's never failed um, which I thought was quite a good point the one I raised as a counterpoint was Amanda Anisimova earlier this year and he pointed out that she's playing some of her best tennis and this move for him to join Yannick Sinner proves that when Cahill said, I don't want to be doing the travelling of being on tour, and that's why I'm breaking up with Amanda Asimova, is not necessarily the whole story. Well, that that was kind of going to be my my one negative about Cahill, is that there's been a lot of indecision on his part in the last few years. You know, he came, he quit with Halep, he came back with Halep, and there's been a lot of kind of pull home and then kind of wanting to come back, so... 
you know, whether it'll end up being a long-term thing. But I, I think Sinner is someone Kale will get on with. I think he's someone who does apply himself. You don't really hear bad stuff about him, you know, not really focusing and wanting to improve. As I say, it can just be a bit of a frustrating time when it you struggle to kind of carry on on that, on that trajectory. So, yeah, I, I hope it works out for both of them because I think we all want Yannick Sinner to be a major player in the sport and we all want him to be playing big, games against top guys because he's he's electric when he's on you know kind of compared his forehand before to del potter in terms of power and his, his backhand can be pretty mighty too so yeah hopefully that's a good combination because as as you rightly point out james cahill does typically send people in the right direction uh the same ex-pro said to me radicani should have given him a million dollars and said you've got the year um, make make of that what you will. Uh, now, there's a couple of really good WTA tournaments to look at over the last couple of days. We just finished today, in fact. Um, Berlin had an absolutely mega field. I think the whole top 10 were signed up. Uh, then a few pullouts, but it was still pretty amazing. Semi-final lineup was Ons Jabur against Coco Goff and Belinda Bencic against Maria Sakari. Um, it was Jabur Bencic in the final today. Uh, a rematch, of course, of that match, I think, in Charleston earlier this year on clay, which Bencic won. Unfortunately, it ended the way you wouldn't have wanted it to. Uh, Bencic retired with an ankle injury, 6-3, 2-1 down in the second set. So maybe Jabur would have would have won it no matter what. But nevertheless, not something you like to see. Uh, it was nice to see when she retired, Jabur came over with her ice box and said, let me get you some more ice. And, you know, it was just they ended up sitting together during the presentation ceremony. And, you know, just good to see camaraderie on the tour, I suppose. Um, it's Onsjabur's first year with multiple titles at WTA level. She'll be world number three by the time you hear this podcast, and she's playing doubles with Serena on Tuesday or Wednesday in Eastbourne. Um, George, which do you think should be more excited about, being world number three or playing doubles with Serena? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure she's immensely, immensely proud to have gone this high up the rankings, and there's no real reason why she can't kind of keep going. I know she'll lose some points at Wimbledon, but... Annette Kontovites in front of her. She's defending a lot of points back end of the season from some really good form. So, you know, later in the year, she'll have a bit, bit of chance to kind of close the gap there. I don't think she'll catch Sviontek, funnily enough. But um, <laughs> yeah, look, she'll also be pretty excited about playing with Serena. I imagine that's a um, pretty good opportunity for her. And there should be a pretty pretty handy partnership. Jabor's definitely got a game good enough uh, to do some serious damage on the grass. I remember watching her tussle with Muguruza last year, which was a brilliant match um against someone who can hit really high levels and did play really well that day um i, I kind of feel like jabor's maybe got a bit of a point to prove as well i feel like she'll she'll feel she kind of let herself down a little bit at the french open in terms of the way that went um she was in control of that match first round and then felt a little bit like the world just got on top of her where she felt she had to be winning it which is maybe a position she's not really been in before so uh, it's good for her to bounce back get a title on the grass and you know she, there's no reason she can't be the player giving Sviontek the toughest time at Wimbledon this year or or Raducanu if she's going to win it Calvin um I'm going to ignore that random <laughs> bit of fishing from George um Calvin I was speaking to a Polish journalist today who told me that the one thing he really fears is on Stabur. do you think that that's reasonable that she she poses the main threat assuming you take some of the chaos out of it it's, is that fair that on grass she's someone who could trouble Liga Shrontek? Yeah, in theory, she sh- should be all right on grass, but how did she do at Wimbledon last year? What a great question. She got quarters, maybe. 
she, she did, did indeed well. get to the quarterfinal of Wimbledon. I, mean, yeah, I, so she can I can't believe it. I can remember that because I watched almost every match and she played Sabalenka yeah, in the quarterfinal. Yeah, uh, but she didn't return really up. Sabalenka had a good serving day and mm-hmm. Jabour didn't have a great day. And it was actually, it was, it was, it was one of those matches where everything was in place for it to be a really good, you know, they say in boxing styles make fights. Yeah. And I was, I was looking at Sabalenka Jabour being like, I'm going to build my day around this match. And it, it just flopped a bit and she lost four and three. And, you know, it was like a lot of matches in that women's draw that year, actually. It looked like it should be really good and it wasn't, you know, the final included. Um, I mean, she she does play well on grass. She's someone who's got a lot of different spins, they always say about on the Jabour. And I would think that maybe someone who can present a different look to Iga Shontek, you know, all right, Shontek's hit, beaten everything that's come even close to her, but... Presumably, you can't just turn up and hope to out-hit her on the day. Surely, you have to try and put some different pictures in front of her. Yeah, but I th- I th- the problem is that Schwan- there's nothing that Jabour does better than Schwantek. Hmm. Like, it's all right saying she pursues different spins, but so does Schwantek. He does it better. Hmm. Um, I think Jabour's great, great to watch. I think she's a really good player, but I don't see her as, as a serious threat to Schwantek, to be honest. She's always look can look a bit lightweight as well hmm. in terms of weapons and... She's, She's a bit underpowered, good. isn't she? Yeah. In terms of Siontek, are we at all worried for her? She's not kind of come out, played some grass before Wimbledon? I think this is a conversation we have to put a pin in, George. I think we for have to talk week. about this on Friday at in our length. Wimbledon preview podcast. when we know her, Because we'll, then we'll know her draw as well. And I, I think tease we should, you into it then. Yeah, exactly. Do tune in on Saturday morning to hear our Wimbledon preview podcast post-draw. This, this week we're going to get a couple of podcasts and then after that you're going to get a podcast every day during Wimbledon with either me or me and George or me and Calvin or all three of us or me and Anna Smith or really anyone who I can get a microphone in front of. So um, <laughs> do tune into that. And all thanks to Matchpoint Tennis Championships who, as I say, we're indebted to for their support over the Wimbledon period. I, I will definitely have to excuse myself from a couple of the podlets. I'm, I'm turning 30 in the middle of Wimbledon this year. so I'm 31, I've... George. Calvin's 40. Like It's not a big deal. <laughs> it, it's more from a plans perspective, I think. But right, OK. I'll be there as often as I can. Um, let's talk about Birmingham, where Beatrice Haddad Meyer, not someone I knew a huge amount other than quite a high-scoring Scrabble name, uh, has won her second title of the grass court season. She swept the doubles and the singles at Nottingham. She's now taken the title at Birmingham. And George, you were saying she's not just beating people, she's thrashing them. Yeah, she's playing really well. Um, and and kind of high-profile people as well. You know, Sakari, Risk, and Kvitova was in there. Halep. Halep. You know, that's, that's not a bad little collection to get from two tournaments. And again, top 30 now as well. Um the women's rankings are mad, by the way, at the minute. I, I was just having a little look before the show. Like, Yelena Rostopenko is back up to like number 15. You just, don't have to tell me, That just totally George. passed me by. You don't have to tell me. I'm interviewing her tomorrow. I think it's just... <laughs> I, I, I just yeah, I mean, I mean she, she played some good stuff towards the end of the year last year. And I, felt, I felt she was improving, but it just shows you you don't really need massive consistency <laughs> to get that high in the women's game at the minute. But um, yeah, look... Back-to-back titles means you've got to got to be viewed as a an interesting player. I'm sure she'll be a decent pick um, 
on the old fantasy game in that, in that kind of bracket of the women's draw. I think she'll be about a 23 seed or a 24 seed, so yeah, she certainly will be. Um, she's also a good kind of campaigner for the doubles uh, world, of which we're obviously big aficionados. She got to the Australian Open doubles final playing with Anna Dan- Daniel Nila, but lost to the uh, the Czech pair with Krijika and Sinyakova, which is no shame, of course. Um, she's also Brazilian. Um, she's 26 years old, I think I'm right in saying, although I've just said that off the top of my head and I'm really worried I might be wrong, but I'm not. Um, I mean, there is some, you know, obviously there's quite a lot of tennis culture in Brazil. You know, there's there's the tournament in Rio. There's a couple of other decent-sized tournaments there, but they haven't... I mean, Calvin, you might be able to tell us from the, the depths of history um, of Brazilian players of note, but I can't think that they've ever had someone really campaigning at the top of the game. Just have quote. Oh yeah, good point. <laughs> guy, guy who just kept winning Pretty slams and was world number one. Um, but apart from him, well, obviously, what have the Romans ever done for us? Obviously, the Rhodes. But apart from the player that was the best player in the world, they've never had anybody who was the best player in the world. Um, you know, have you ever a Brazilian female player? That's have you got this in your locker, George? Yeah. No. <laughs> it's probably had admire now, to be honest. I mean, this is there's honestly... definitely a culture there. They've they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of futures tournaments there. Mm. Or pre-COVID, they did. I think it's one of those places that I don't think they've done if they've had any since then. But um... okay. Well, um, I look forward to learning more about Brazilian tennis culture over the next couple of days because Beatrice Haddad is Haddad Maya is inside the top thirty in the world. She appears to really be able to play on grass. She's playing at Eastbourne again this week, although whether that comes through given how many matches she's played lately. We shall see. And by the way, she also played her semi-final and final, albeit the final was a walkover in the end of only nine games. She played them both in the same day because of uh, because of weather. So I don't think fitness is a problem. She's also left-handed, which, as we know in tennis, is basically cheating. So I don't know. I think she might be a big a big fantasy pick. Um, there was also a good week in uh, Birmingham for Katie Bolter. She picked up one of the bigger wins of her career by beating Alison Risk um, in the first round. Uh, she then followed up with a win over Caroline Garcia, and she's beaten by Simona Halep. Um, Calvin, I know you know people in and, in and around Katie Bolter. Um, I mean, grass should be a surface where she can can thrive. You know, if she, if and when she's fit, which which she seems to be now. Uh, yeah, she's you know hits the ball flat, hits it hard, likes playing on it. The problem, you know, I don't know how fit Katie is week in week out. That's the mm. thing, isn't it? Um, she has picked up another win today, by the way, over Teresa Martinkova in the first round of Eastbourne, which, again, is no bad thing. Uh, she's got Carolina Pliskova in the second round. George, I mean, you know, you put her on the running order. You must have something to say about her. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's a good risk. Win against Risk on grass. I think Risk's a good player. Um, I think yeah, it's nice for her to just show she can still mix it with top players. I think that's been the kind of frustration about Balter over the last two years obviously with these injury troubles but when she does come back she is capable of a high profile win you know top 50 players she can kind of take out um just for the record by the way i've done a quick bit of research into the most famous brazilian female player of all time pre-open era maria bueno right tell me more about maria bueno she won 19 grand slam titles seven in women's singles and 11 in women's doubles so the rankings weren't a thing there but if she was ranked she would be number one but i think hadamaya would be the highest ranked ever brazilian female player in the world of rankings right so, okay but she smashed it pre-open era 
Um, do we think Katie Bolter can, without wanting to um, tee up our preview podcast too much, do we think she can win a couple of rounds at Wimbledon? I mean, draw notwithstanding, she's obviously got a wild card. Yeah, I think so. Um, she's got good serve. She hits well on grass. She, I think, you know, her problem, her main problem is the body. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't want to face her first round. You know, obviously, I'm, well, I'm not, not with your knee, but no. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, no, she won't be an easy draw f- for someone. And as we've said before, that there's not that many standout players that you're looking at on the grass at Wimbledon, thinking, yeah, I really see her going to the semis. I think the only players I'd be reading off would be Sviontek, Jabor. I think Goff can have a good Wimbledon. You know, she's shown some good form on the grass as well, and obviously off the back of a, a good French Open. Magarufa is the age-old one that if she turns up, she can win the whole thing, but she probably won't. Um, but, that, but that aside, and um, Raducanu, obviously, but that aside, um, there's, there's not many players I'd be looking at like serious, serious, serious danger. Hmm. Um, let's move on, shall we, and talk about Queens, where I've been this week, uh, my first Queens Club Championships, which I... Did you enjoy have... it? Yeah, I did, actually. Um, it's quite an unusual tournament, uh, I don't think the crowd are the best without wanting to offend anyone. Like, I think they're fair, but it's not like a Wimbledon crowd or like you know. It, I don't think they're even like the Nottingham crowd in terms of not in terms of size, but in terms of kind of timbre. I think they just weren't as into it or like partisan as maybe some other crowds. It's a bit more reserved. Um, no one gets booed for anything. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's it's a different feel. It's a lovely court, the centre court. Um, we're able to stand on the players' balcony and watch from there, which is kind of the corner. And um, the other day when it was thirty odd degrees and the press seats are in the sun, it was nice to be able to stand there in the shade. Um, it was great to have Ryan Penniston making a big run as well. He was the last remaining Brit, the British number seven. I think he made about fifty grand. In prize money, which for a guy whose career prize money is about 120 grand, before that, it's obviously a pretty massive boost. Um, Calvin, you call him Penno. The physios call him Penny. I'm not sure what the uh, official nickname is, but either way, you've known him for quite a long time. It must have been quite nice to see a guy you know get a bit of national recognition. As I say, he was the last of the Brits remaining. Yes, yeah, good player, good lad, good player. Um competes well makes a lot of balls moves great another lefty um yeah i wasn't surprised that he beat rude that's um you know rude's obviously got his weaknesses on grass and penno is always you don't want to be playing penno unless you're entirely focused on it mentality wise and you're confident in your game on the surface because he's going to find gaps in it mentioning that win over rude i think we do have to Give James uh, a, a nod there after he was hammering that home last week that Pedersen was definitely going to beat Rude. So. Yeah, I did. I did pick that pretty hard. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty pleased with that. I don't get many right. I I crowed about it on Twitter rather unashamedly. Um, I also wrote a fair bit about it um, and about this. He's up into the top 150 in the world. Um, as I say, in terms of rank um, prize money, he's got a wild card to Wimbledon, which is 50 grand guaranteed as well. So it'll be a total of £100,000 in this grass court season alone. I mean, Calvin, in terms of like, sort of, you know, Ryan Penniston is 26 years old. He's not come out of nowhere, but he's obviously playing his best tennis of his career. In terms of what a, a summer like this does for his career, like how does it change things in terms of 
what the rest of his season looks like and I guess what the rest of his I mean life looks like is it life changing is that too much to say I wouldn't say that in itself is life changing but it opens doors that could be um, he's going to start now looking at thinking well he's going to get in thinking of done it anyway without that he's going to get in US Open qualifying so maybe that plus a little bit of a run this week and next week at Wimbledon start getting him seeded and might get him a seeding at US Open qualies that's what he'll be hoping for that'll be the next step mm. I think and then once you qualify and you're playing more more and more slams then you're looking at serious I don't know if he's got it life-changing because it's only really life-changing now where when they're earning so much money that they don't have to think about making money mm. and that doesn't really come until you're 40 in the world maybe yeah what what's his ceiling calvin what do you kind of see him being able to get up to uh, the top 100 player top 50 or is that it could definitely go top 100 i think um yeah and and his, his best surface is coming up he's he's very very he's tough on the hard courts if you get him on a, a slow or medium hard court i mean he's like I think we spoke about it at the time last year when him and Luke, who I coached, they played the longest set. Still maintain the longest set, that's longest proper set that's been played in proper tennis. <laughs> not that mess of a match in the eighties or whatever it was, <laughs> um, which was one hour fifty six minutes for one set of tennis. Mm. Um, you know, so once he gets on the US hard, if he starts getting seeded, then he's going to be getting he's going to be winning some matches. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's never so, bad. It's never bad for tournaments when home players do well. So um, it was nice to have have Peno go well there. Um, of course, Matteo Berrettini was the man who took the title for the second year in a row. Uh, he's won twenty of his last twenty-one matches on grass. The only two men to beat him since the beginning of Wimbledon twenty nineteen on this surface are Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic, both of whom have a bit of a track record. Um, he, he beat Filip Krajinovic, who is now lost all five of his ATP finals. So you might say that was a good matchup. Um, look, it's no secret what Matteo Berrettini's game is. He's got a massive serve, he's got a massive forehand. And actually, I'll tell you what impressed me, George, this week, and I don't know if you'll agree, is I thought he showed quite a lot of touch around the net, which I hadn't always associated him with. Yeah, and yeah, we say his backhand is a massive weakness as well, but the slice actually isn't terrible against most players on the grass it kind of sticks fairly well um you know against a top guy like novak who can pick anything out straight away or if you put it to the forehand of some of the bigger hitters it might be problematic but i think it it really suits in this surface you know we spoke about murray struggling to get the ball back to his backhand today i thought krajinovic you know i'm sure we'll have a quick word on him after as well but i thought he he gave it a really good go he broke him uh, once or twice i think in the match um just once. But yeah, just the once. He came close maybe another time. But, you know, I, I do really think Berrettini should definitely make the semis um, as a minimum this tournament. And then it's just a case of how well's Rapper doing, how well's Novak doing, where are they at? I don't think he should go into a match with Novak necessarily fearing him that much at the minute. And similarly, on grass, you're going to have a better chance against Nadal than you will on other surfaces, um, particularly still with whatever remaining doubts there are about his fitness, if there are any. Mm. Um, and for the Nadal fans out there, I'm not saying he's bad on grass. I'm just <laughs> saying maybe slightly less good um, than other surfaces. But look, it 
it's going to be tough for him to win the tournament. There's still great players kicking around there, but I'm pretty sure Berrettini will be winning Wimbledon within the next five years because he's playing great stuff and the biggest obstacles to him winning it surely can't be going in five more years. <laughs> uh, yeah, I literally wrote that in the newspaper, uh, in Monday's Eye newspaper. So um, go, and, go and buy that for, I think it's 60p. I should know that more. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, we should also mention Andrew Murray, Andrew Baron Murray, um, withdrew from uh, Queens with an abdominal injury. Um, it's not a tear, it's a minor strain. We think he might get an outing at Hurlingham this week in an exhibition, we're not sure. We will talk more about that on Friday when we've got a bit more of an idea of how fit he is and what his draw looks like. Um, should mention Jack Draper, beat Taylor Fritz in the first round, um, was undone by Emil Roussevori, who, who frankly just has the perfect game to beat Jack Draper. He hits the ball hard and flat, and he served extremely well. Um, Calvin, it's no secret that Jack Draper is the future of British tennis, but I mean, another week where he had the chance to show everyone what he can do, and certainly in that first round against Fritz, albeit Fritz is not fully fit and it's not his best surface, you know, beating a top 20 player takes some doing when you're a guy who's, you know, ranked where Jack is at the moment. Yeah, but he's also underranked at that. He's flying grass is perfect for him. Um, actually, so are hard courts, to be fair. Um, <laughs> he's just a good player. Yeah. Good player, competes well, and then, you know, he's got weapons, real weapons, if that's what you want in the men's game. Mm. Um, we should also mention Denis Shapovalov. Uh, didn't go well at Queen's and then had a... We did well, we got to the semis of the doubles, um, but didn't go well in the singles, and then had a massive moan for not letting um, his other half, uh, Miriam Bjorklund, practice at Queen's. Uh, said it was disgusting that she wasn't allowed to book a practice court at Queen's. There are lots of other grass courts she could have used. I'm not sure it was a rant any of us thought was particularly necessary or um, well-advised, put it that way. Let's move on because I think we all agree on that and I don't think anyone will disagree with us. Um, let's go to Haller where Hubert Hercats won the title in style. He beat Daniil Medvedev who uh, shouted at his coach Gilles Zavara so much that he just stormed out. I'm amazed more coaches don't do it. I think it's disgraceful the way players shout at their coaches. Um, let's be honest, Andy Murray being a particularly bad one for it. Uh, I'm sure he makes up afterwards, but um, he's never very nice during the match. Um, Calvin, uh, Hubert Hercats made the semi-finals of Wimbledon last year. Beat, beat the Roger Federer, of course. Seems to have a few weapons. I mean, we should probably be talking about him as... I can't remember which tier he is in your uh, power rankings pyramid, but... Third tier. Third, third tier on the pyramid. Um, I mean, he's got a real chance if he gets a decent draw. Yeah, he's made semis last year. Yeah. And the semis, semi was close. Mm. Um, yeah, and he's... Yeah, absolutely He's one of those guys player. who just sort of... He's just... like I don't feel like when I think about his game that he's got massive weapons but he doesn't seem to have many real weaknesses George you're raising your eyebrows uh, his serve was unreal today I watched the match from Medvedev I mean he was just blowing the guy away it mm. was it was huge um, I think he's another one kind of a bit like Berrettini that last year the semi-final he felt a little bit overawed to me by the occasion um, had a couple of really poor sets and then kind of got into a bit of a match and found his rhythm and groove so I think that experience will have benefited him quite well again. You know, he's beaten guys like Kyrgios this week, Felix Auger-Aliassime, Humbert, 
um, Maxime Cressy, like all of those, you'd say that, that's a really good grass that's court. Actually, I think win. that's, but that's the best grass court, um, like resume I can think of in a long time because fields for grass court tournaments outside of Wimbledon aren't always great. All of those guys are people we talk about as people who should be able to play on grass. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, the, and the manner of the way he was playing today, um, he, he earlier I said Alcaraz fourth. I mean, I just this guy popped out of my head. He he would be my fourth um, pretty comfortably right now. Um, the way he's playing, um, it's still the same sort of question mark as you'd have with Berrettini. Would he beat Djokovic and Nadal? That's you know that's a question mark for pretty much every player. To be fair, so it's not like a particularly horrible thing to say, but. He's got to take, but the good thing he and Berrettini have is they've got a serve that can take the game, you know, the pressure off in big moments if they find it. Question is, can they find it against those guys when they know they need to get it absolutely right? Um, but yeah, I've, I think he can definitely look towards quarters, semis, and get the right draw final. Uh, Nick Kyrgios had a good week as well, make it to the semis before Hercat stopped him. He says he's top five in the world on grass. Uh, there is debate as to whether there's much evidence for this. Again, that might come up in our Wimbledon podcast that comes up into your feeds on Saturday morning. I've plugged that very hard today. Yeah. I hope it, plug, I hope plug, it, plug. I hope it's good. <laughs> um, that's pretty much all I've got from Haller. Uh, obviously, Daniil Medvedev has had a really good grass swing. He's in Mallorca this week as well in quite a stacked field along with Stefanos Tsitsipas, among others. Um we will talk later about what this means for Dino Medvedev. He's still going to be world number one. His lead is going to be bigger than ever after Wimbledon because he's picked up so many points. Um, I've got some quick hits for you. Dominic Team was reported to the police by his neighbours for, quote-unquote, making a porn film. Um, they had heard extended and um, quite excited moans and groans coming from his property, uh, only to be told that it was him just practising his tennis. Uh, whatever Dominic team was doing, if he's enjoying himself, I think that's a good thing. Uh, let's hope it was tennis. He's got a very full-on grunt, doesn't he? He's got the... <laughs> so I can, oh, I can feel how that goes. That is how it sounds, though. I mean, I tell you Accurate. who is... I mean, he's always been a big grunter, but he is now a really bad grunter, is Andy Murray when someone plays a drop shot against him. Because he's now got two. He's like, when he first sees the drop shot go, he goes... Ugh! And then as he's running, he's got a sort of... Which is actually really unpleasant. Um, there's also a story in the Mail on Sunday today, uh, co-written by Yannick Schneider, the German journalist who um, has done some excellent work on this. About uh, is, well, the headline was "Is tennis going soft on drugs?" Um, the main kind of revelations being that uh, tennis players were being allowed to choose their own drug testing times. They were being invited to check into a portal uh, to book their tests in, which basically gives you license to dope. Um, experts on doping say that being allowed to know when you're going to get testing is one of the biggest things that aids you to be able to evade the testing. Um, there was also uh, one where they told everyone they were going to test right at the beginning of the event. Um, look, this is something that demands a lot more time. I just wanted to make note of the story. Go and read it um, on the mail or go onto Yannick Schneider's um, Twitter and you'll find it there. Uh, it's well worth reading and investigating and thinking about. Um, as I say, we haven't got time or really an expensive enough lawyer to talk about that in depth, uh, certainly without naming anyone. And very finally, my notes simply say, Calvin is a coaching genius part seven. Uh, I don't think Calvin will take any credit for it whatsoever, but we should note that Henry Patton and Julian Cash are on fire. They've won yet another title. Uh, Calvin, and in some style, is that fair to say? 
Yeah, didn't lose serve at all at Ilkley last week. Uh, in the final, they lost four points on serve total, and two of those were double faults. Um, uh, four. Let's work on that, shall we? Yeah, maybe, maybe yeah, do, some, um, do some second serves on court yeah. tomorrow, Calvin. And not to tell you how to coach, but feel, feels like an obvious weakness. <laughs> um, but they'll, um, yeah, they'll be, be, be a tough match tomorrow. They play the guys who they beat in the final at Surbiton two weeks ago, but that was 11-9 in the third set tiebreak. So. Mm tight stuff uh, good luck to them in Eastbourne um, we might even speak to them before they take their wild card in Wimbledon so we've got time for this week thank you as always for listening do leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast and do tell your friends about the Love Tennis Podcast Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.